and pops is my dad, Frank Beccarello. Thanks, sweetie, and thank you for tuning in to episode 106 of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. We once again feature a trumpet player with an unmistakable sound. He is among one of the fastest players I've encountered. A common joke was that if a fly landed on his written music, James would play it. He also wrote a good portion of the music on this record. So, get ready for a musician who played and arranged for Benny Goodman, and discovered old blue eyes in volume 106, Harry's Favorites. Thank you. 
Harry James and his orchestra with Concerto for Trumpet, written by Harry James and recorded November 30th, 1939. Okay, why this album for this episode? Well, we featured Harry and his orchestra about two years ago on the show. And while you still hear his horn on some of the music I've played over the first two seasons, we haven't pulled out any of the other three Harry James albums my dad had. To me, his playing style really stands out. Even when I was young and just getting into older jazz, I could easily recognize his playing. He was fast and furious the way the notes came out, but with a super light touch. Plus, he's the one who discovered my dad's favorite vocalist, Frank Sinatra. Next up, the only tune on this episode that wasn't written or arranged by James.
Don't Be That Way, written by Benny Goodman, Edgar Sampson, and Mitchell Parrish, and recorded on October 11th, 1951. Okay, let me tell you about my dad's vinyl I have chosen for this episode. Harry James, all-time favorites by Harry James. It's on the Columbia Special Products label, JCL 655. Its series is a collector's series. It's a vinyl LP mono compilation reissue format. Uh, Its country of release was the U.S., released in 1973. Its genre is jazz, and its style is big band. That's the record I digitized for the show. He also has the original release of this album, from 1955. Eight of these songs were released on a 10-inch 78 RPM shellac version in 1946, and we'll hear seven of the 12 songs on this record note. Now, the liner notes are pretty extensive. I'm going to read the first paragraph here, and then I'll use more in the bio section of this show. Anyone who, in the late 30s or early 40s, strolled into a record shop and said, what have you got by Harry James that's new, must remember the incredible tingle that came from the initial discovery of these performances. Not that the tingle has subsided yet, but the first hearing of these all-time favorites was something akin to standing silent on that well-known peak in Darien. For each one of the dozen Harry James favorites included here, there is a score of other equally exciting performances to be chosen from, but these were the records that made Harry and his orchestra a sensation in those days and were the foundation of a reputation that is still bright and shiny. Of these 12 numbers, only two are from his fruitful post-war period, the other 10 stemming from the great era of big bands. Okay, let's see what prices this record is being sold at on Discogs.com. $12.99 for the highest, $0.99 for the lowest, for a $5.34 average, and a $4 median. It was last sold on May 9th, 2021 for $6.99. You can find one on eBay in the $10 to $11 range, and Amazon had it from $4 to $49. And like I said, my dad had two copies of the album. The 1955 version is in terrible condition. The record is pretty dirty, and the cover is coming apart at the seams uh, with no black electrical tape in sight, which is kind of weird. The 1973 version is in fair to poor condition. There is a lot of crackling on this record, but I think Harry's talent shines through. This cover is also in poor shape. But the color is more brilliant than the faded original version. There was nearly a 20-year difference in their releases. And of course, my dad has his address label on the reissue, but not on the original. So I'll value my dad's 1973 version at a buck, and I would take a dime for the 1955 version. Okay, next up, well... They certainly were that. Thank mm-hmm. you. 
Music Makers, written by Harry James and recorded on January 8th, 1941. Let's learn a little about our featured artist, and I will use some biographical information from the album's liner notes. Harry was born in Albany, Georgia on March 15th, 1916, where his parents were traveling with the Mighty Hog Circus, and by the time he was six, Harry had learned to play the drums. The family moved along to the Christie Brothers outfit where Harry's father conducted the band and and Harry learned the trumpet. By the time he was 10, he was playing solos and two years later, he began conducting the circus's number two band. When he was 15, the family retired to Beaumont, Texas, where Harry kept up his music studies in high school and won state music contests. At the same time, he began sitting in with local orchestras and became well known as a handy man to have around. After graduation, he joined Ben Pollock's orchestra and promptly came up with a song called Peckin' that started a temporary dance craze. News of his talents reached Benny Goodman, who speedily signed him up, and from that time forward, it was a simple case of onwards and upwards. The first national awareness of the James talent came when Harry was the spark plug of the magnificent trumpet section in the Benny Goodman Orchestra. Just what he meant to the group can be heard on the recordings of the Goodman Carnegie Hall Jazz Concert. But it was soon obvious that he was too fine a musician not to have his own band, and with the Goodman blessing, Harry started out. The first days were rough. And then records like these came tumbling out in profuse succession. Stars like Frank Sinatra, Dick Hames, and Helen Forrest filtered through the band to reach subsequent stardom on their own, and swing history was made right in front of everyone's eyes. Now, 
I will add this last piece that I found online. James was a heavy smoker, drinker, and gambler. In 1983, he was diagnosed with lymphatic cancer, but continued to work. He played his last professional job with the Harry James Orchestra on June 26, 1983 in Los Angeles, dying just nine days later in Las Vegas, Nevada on July 5, 1983, at the age of 67. Frank Sinatra gave the eulogy at his funeral held in Vegas. Now, off to meet a guy in a Brooklyn neighborhood. Flatbush, 
Flanagan, written by Harry James and also recorded January 8th, 1941. Time now for this episode's interesting side note, and it has to do with the difference between 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock. Count Basie and his band recorded One O'Clock Jump on their first recording session for Decca Records on January 21st, 1937. The recording was an immediate hit for Basie and the first for the group following their arrival in New York City. The song made the charts several times in the years that followed. Count Basie's 1937 recording hit number 15. Harry James and his orchestra, the, the version you're about to hear, hit number seven in 1938. Benny Goodman in his orchestra also hit in 1938, came in at number eight, and it was part of the concert bill for Benny Goodman's famous 1938 concert at Carnegie Hall where Harry James was the trumpet player. Metronome All-Star Band hit number 13 in 1941, and Count Basie and his orchestra redid the tune in 1947, and it hit number 12. Two O'Clock Jump was a performance by Harry James and his big band in 1939, slightly based on One O'Clock Jump, but using triplets. Harry James wrote Two O'Clock Jump in 1939, it was, to become his own theme tune. Several versions of the original by Harry James and Benny Goodman featured the Two O'Clock Jump ending. While the arrangement, tempo, structuring into solo and section performances, is very similar to One O'Clock Jump, the basic melody is different. Nonetheless, sources like ASCAP additionally credit Basie for this. Similarly, because solo elements were borrowed from the Benny Goodman version arrangement of One O'Clock Jump, those sources also add Goodman as a writer for Two O'Clock Jump. Frank Sinatra reckoned that by 1975, James was up to his 15,000th version of Jump. And... A side note to a side note, Rush drummer Neil Peart, who actually composed his drum solos, included One O'Clock Jump in his drum solos on the band's concert tours in 2002 and 2004. Now, I saw Rush in concert at the Richfield Coliseum in 1981. Neil Peart was an octopus on that large kit. I've never seen anything like it, and unfortunately, something we will never get to see again uh, after his passing three years ago. Okay, now let's hear Harry's versions of both of these jump tunes. Thank you. 
spinning my dad's vinyl. Clock Jump, written by Benny Goodman, Count Basie, and Harry James, and recorded March 6th, 1939. And before that, we heard One O'Clock Jump, written by Count Basie, and recorded January 5th, 1938. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I always enjoy listening to the trumpet stylings of Harry James. It would have been exciting to hit up a nightclub and listen to him do his stuff. I'm glad my dad was such a big fan of his to have a few of his albums. Harry's version of one of my favorite trumpet pieces quickly became my 
favorite version, and we finish the show with it now. Flight of the Bumblebee, written by Nikolai Rimsky-Korsakov and arranged by Harry James, recorded February 13th, 1941. And there you have selections from a trumpet player so good, they re-released this collection twice. So thanks for tuning into Volume 106, Harry's Favorites However You Did. If you want more information about this show, head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com. I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches, and pops for Volume 107, Big Band Mancini. Until then, go with the flow, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>